Hey guys, welcome to Relatable. Happy Wednesday. Hope everyone has had a wonderful week. Tomorrow is Thanksgiving, so I know that you're probably busy cooking, baking, preparing, hanging out with your family. We'll have a short episode today and it's going to be a fun one that'll get you in the mood for, you know, a lighthearted, enjoyable time with your family on Thanksgiving. I am talking to Seth Dillon. He is the CEO of the Babylon Bee, the satire site. I have had the honor of writing several times for the Babylon Bee over the years. I have loved them, been a fan of them for a very long time. They're Christian, conservative, just all out funny people. And they're just genuinely good people. Like the people behind the Babylon Bee are as great as their headlines. And so you're going to enjoy this conversation. We're not just going to talk about the woke scolds and the pearl clutching that now tends to come from the left side of the aisle and the importance of satire and humor and all that kind of stuff. We're also towards the end of the conversation going to talk a little theology We're going to talk about predestination. We're going to talk about Calvinism versus non-Calvinism or Arminianism and where we disagree. He and I disagree on the topic of predestination. And yet, um, obviously, we share very important things in common, namely Christ. And so it's a fun, productive conversation that I know you guys are going to really enjoy. Happy Thanksgiving to everyone. Thank you so much for listening to Relatable. I am so grateful for you all. We will be back next week with all new episodes covering all the craziness that is bound to be going on in the news. So for now, without further ado, here is my guest, Seth Dillon. Seth, thank you so much for joining us. Um, First, just in case there are a few people out there who don't know you, can you tell everyone who you are and what you do? Yeah, thanks for having me, Allie. Um, I am the CEO of the Babylon Bee, um, which is the world's best and greatest, most factually accurate news source. It is. Um, Fake news you can trust. Uh, Yeah, I mean, I, I, I... run the business side of things, you know, Kyle Mann, who, you know, our, our editor in chief runs like the content team um, and, uh, and, and is really responsible for that side of things. I run the business and represent the company. And um, so, yeah, I've been doing that since I took over in 2018. So going on four years now, which is pretty awesome. Um, and uh, yeah, the B started in 2016. So I took it over from Adam Ford, its founder. Yeah, and it's really exploded under your leadership over the past few years. Has it surprised you how much it has taken off, or did you see the potential right away before you decided to join? I mean, I saw I saw potential. That's why I got involved. Uh, it, the, it was already kind of taking off. It was going viral, and you know, people are sharing these articles millions of times, and the site was getting millions of views. So, it had a huge amount of potential. Uh, I didn't, I didn't necessarily think that it would get to where it is. I mean, I'm like, I'm going on Tucker Carlson now every now and then, and he's talking about how we're the funniest site on the internet. I mean, I wasn't expecting that kind of stuff. Elon Musk. Uh, Elon Musk is retweeting us and talking about us quite a bit. Yeah. He's a big fan. So I never expected any of that. I don't think anybody did. And you know, you, you never know what you're getting into with this stuff, but there's clearly a reason the B is successful. The B is successful because it's, it's pushing back on the left's ideology. And obviously, you know, we make jokes at the right too. We, we make fun of, you know, even ourselves, Christian church and culture. Um, but but what, what resonates the most and what gets shared the most are these jokes that we're making that you're not supposed to make. You know, nobody's willing to make them. They're politically incorrect. 
Uh, the targets of them are very uh, well safeguarded and protected. Um, and people are really hungry for real kind of natural raw humor that isn't filtered through the whole PC thing. So um, I think that's really part of the main reason that the bee has really taken off is that it's this refreshing take on satire and mockery and ridicule uh, from a perspective that, you know, not a lot of people are doing it. I think my favorite reaction from typically the left to you guys is just that that's not funny and explaining why it's not funny, especially if it's something about AOC maybe being unintelligent or something like that or a headline that they see as racist. And they take this whole Twitter thread to talk about why the Babylon Bee is not funny. And I love how you guys respond to that. It's never, oh, let me explain this joke or, well, let me put a caveat behind (laughs) that. It's just like, well, if you don't get it, We're not going to explain it to you. And then you just double down and keep going. I think that maybe as much as just the humor behind the Babylon Bee is what people love is the attitude behind it. Just like we don't care. We we don't care what you think. We don't care who gives us pushback. We're going to keep telling these kinds of jokes. Don't you think? Uh, it's, uh, look, it's in character for us to respond that way. I love the way Kyle handled that interview that he did with the Atlantic. Yes, me too. They were asking him, they're like, okay, you wrote this joke. Why is this funny? Tell me why this is funny. I mean, what a, what a weird, like, you come across as such a humorless scold to yes. tell a comedian to explain to you why his joke is funny. And you know, the really interesting thing is that there are obviously millions of people who think that our site is funny and that our content is funny because they read it, they share it, they laugh. Um, so if you don't think it's funny, well, that's your opinion. It's one of those subjective things. It's like somebody saying, somebody who likes vanilla more than chocolate ice cream, uh, demanding that you explain to them why chocolate is better. You know, it's like, well, that's my, that's my personal preference. Right. Um, so it is fun to just kind of like repeat the joke and say, well, here's the joke. This is why it's funny. And then, and then let them stay, stay stupefied and dumbfounded about it. It's, it's kind of fun to do that. But yeah, there are times we have to take it seriously. Like when we had to send a demand letter to the New York Times, for example, because they called us a far-right misinformation site that traffics in misinformation under oh the guise of satire. Um, you know, that's, that's the kind of thing where it's like, okay, we will make jokes about that. And we have made jokes about New York times and CNN and some of the stuff that they've said about us, but there's also, there, there comes a place where you have to like draw a line and say, okay, our business could legitimately be threatened by these misrepresentations because if the social networks are taking fake news really seriously and we're being characterized that way, we could get booted off the social network. So, you know, that was a situation where it's like that demanded a response. All right, got to take a quick break to tell you guys about my first sponsor for the day. That is Alliance Defending Freedom. So as you guys know, citizens of goodwill have decided not to get the vaccine. And even citizens of goodwill who have decided to get the vaccine are against these vaccine mandates. No matter what your opinion is on the vaccine itself, we should be able to agree that this is overreach by the federal government to try to mandate millions and millions of Americans who do not want, some of them don't need the vaccine because they have previously recovered from an infection. It is overreach. It is a form of tyranny to try to mandate this for people who don't want or need it. President Biden cannot lawfully force private and religious employers to enforce his COVID-19 vaccine mandate, and yet he is trying anyway, even though the Fifth Circuit Appellate Court said No, that's authoritarian. And you need people to push back against authoritarianism. That is one thing that makes this country great. Alliance Defending Freedom is the organization doing that. They have now challenged the private employer vaccine mandate in court. 
but they still need your help. Protecting our cherished freedoms from government overreach is why it is vital that you join me in supporting ADF. Go to adflegal.org slash Allie. Make a tax-deductible donation to their Freedom Fund. We've seen the effective things that can happen when Americans stick together. This is a way that you can push back. Go to adflegal.org slash Allie. Make your donation today, adflegal.org slash Allie. Let's analyze that a little bit because I've noticed that um, the leftist media will do this, not just with the Babylon Bee, but when I made that little satirical video with AOC back in like 2018, I got all of these very incensed and serious emails the next morning, totally unexpected to me from the Atlantic, BuzzFeed, these mainstream outlets saying, you know, how do you feel? about spreading this kind of disinformation? Like, how do you feel about duping so many people? You know, they're very serious and they're acting very mad about this. And then they act like it wasn't intended as satire, that I actually intended for people to think that I was interviewing AOC, which is just ridiculous. Um, But they know, like the journalists know that the Babylon Bee is satire. They knew that the video that I did was satire. So why did they do this? Why did they pretend to not, No. Why do they pretend (laughs) that they don't know that it's supposed to be a joke? What do you think is behind that? Uh, Well, it's nefarious. I mean, uh, like with the the word I used for The New York Times, you know, I said it's it's actually malicious because they do know better. I mean, they do. We had in the case of The New York Times, they actually did a profile piece on us where they came to our office. Wow. They interviewed our guys. They took pictures of us. Like they had written about us before. They covered us before. And then yet over the course of time, continued to just keep going back to this, you know, ooh, maybe they're this undercover misinformation outlet that's just pretending to be a satire site, you know, trying to guess at your motives. I mean, in that case, it's really obvious why they're doing it. It's if they can get you labeled misinformation, then they can get you mm. deplatformed. It's really, yeah. it's really that simple. And so it's, they try to act like there must be some, if they just treat it as satire, like satire is very permissible. It's very allowable. It's not harmful. Um, so they have to try to find a way to make it seem harmful. So they'll either treat it as misinformation or they'll treat it as hate speech. Those yeah. are the two things that, you know, it's punching down. You're making fun of people that you're not supposed to make fun of. Punching um, and down. So That's the phrase that really they use believe- constantly. Even if, you're, even if you're criticizing or making fun of like a congresswoman, you're punching right. down somehow. Yeah. Yeah. You're punching down on, on people. You know, the whole idea there is that these people are marginalized and oppressed and you have all the power and you're making jokes at them and that's not fair. Um, and, and really, I, honestly, it's the other way around. This whole situation with Dave Chappelle perfectly illustrated right. it. You know, he's one of these people. He's got it. He's got enough of a platform and a position and enough of a following that he's not gonna, anybody else would have been completely canceled. And, 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 and when you have this situation where the people who are complaining that they're marginalized or oppressed have the have the power to get you canceled, they are actually the oppressors in that situation. I, I've said it before, like if you have the will and the power to punish people who merely make jokes about you, then you're the yeah. one who's really in control there. The power dynamic is really flipped on its head and they're trying to act like victims. So they're actually yeah. creating a bunch of victims in their wake with all that nonsense. Yeah, I remember you saying that. I watched you say that on Tucker Carlson and I thought that that was such a good point. You know who has at least the cultural power, but probably the political and institutional power too, uh, by looking at who you're not allowed 
to make fun of. And Dave Chappelle made that point when he responded to all of the backlash about his special. He said, well, I'm the only one that's not allowed in the Netflix building. All of these people showed up to work. He's the only one that's not even allowed to go in. And yet people are accusing him of punching down by saying that a woman is a woman. And I think because of that, I am seeing what seems like a shift. People used to think that everyone on the right, that, you know, we were the pearl clutchers. Like we were the ones that couldn't take a joke and that you're not allowed to make fun of our faith. You're not allowed to make fun of our values, whatever it is. Um, And we were the ones who were no fun. And it was everyone on the left who was just like, oh, yeah, you know, we're going to be crass. We're going to push the limits. All the comedians considered themselves on the left. But now you're seeing people, Joe Rogan, Dave Chappelle, other comedians, I think a lot of people who probably still identify as independents being like, you know what, I'm still probably not a Republican, but I know I'm not on the left, who are at least coming out as anti-woke. And now it seems like really the only people who can tell a good joke are people on the right, because people on the left will freak out even if you use a euphemism like let's go, Brandon. They can't even take that. They can't even take it. Um, Do you see that shift happening, too, that it's really kind of conservative to now almost have the monopoly or not even conservatives, but just non leftists like Bill Maher even now is kind of part of that camp who are the ones telling the good jokes? uh, I love Bill Maher, by the way, and some of the comments that he's made about about cancel culture. He's right on the money. it's one of these situations. Look, our new book, The Babylon Bee Guide to Wokeness, is a top seller in religion categories, a bunch of different religion categories, which I find is kind of funny. It's like, it's like, it feels like confirmation to me that wokeness really is a religion that we're, yeah. that we're selling so well in these religion categories. It really has, it's flipped. You know, you've got this situation where um, one of these people's really tightly personal value, tightly held personal values. Um, are, are really guarded closely by a lot of people. They don't like to see them held up to scorn or mockery or ridicule. The left has adopted all of these values that have really become very religious for them. Um, and so it, it really is like the shoes on the other foot here where they're in a situation where they're at, the pearl clutching is happening from that side. But they've created all these rules about things you can and can't say and things you can and can't joke about that are really stifling comedy. And I think, I think there's going to be a revival in comedy from the other, from the other side. People are going to find... Um, that there's plenty of demand for real jokes that really don't care if they're offensive. You know, comedy is offensive by nature. It's going to it's going to make somebody bristle. But you want to you want to be able to laugh at yourself. It's a healthy thing to be able to, like, look at yourself and the silly things that you do or say or believe and like laugh at yourself a little bit. That's fine. That's a healthy exercise. Yeah. Um, so I think it's important for people to kind of push back. I love what Chappelle is doing. I love how Bill Maher is doing it. Um, I'd like to see more people really push back on that and then kind of hopefully bring things back to the middle because they've gone very extreme where there's so much you're not allowed to think and you're not allowed to say. Yeah, I think that those comedians, even though I, as a conservative Christian, don't have all the same values as someone like Joe Rogan or Dave Chappelle, they play such an important role, though, in the so-called culture wars. They inject sanity into these insane conversations, and people listen to them that wouldn't necessarily listen to me because they don't agree with me theologically or even politically. But when you have someone who is liberal in, in most ways saying, hey, you know, everyone here came out of a woman, like everyone here was born from a woman, Um, then I do think that there's a really important cultural role that they play in kind of shifting the Overton window 
back over. It gives people cover. And I think the Babylon Bee does that too. Like it gives people cover. They feel like, oh, okay. So it's not just me who thought that this whole thing was absurd. Other people think that's absurd too. Um, And so even though the Babylon Bee, I mean, you tell jokes, I think that there is a very serious role and a very seriously important role that the Babylon Bee uh, takes on in these culture wars and in changing the political narrative. Do you think so? Yeah. Well, I mean, the way that I describe it, when I like, there's kind of a twofold mission with satire. You know, you want to make people laugh, but you also want to make them think. You want to challenge, you know, the status quo. Um, there is a lot about satire. You know, one of the main effective things that it does is it challenges the power structures and um, speaks truth to power. Um, but I, I try to summarize our mission statement as really being very simple. It's to ridicule bad ideas. And that's exactly what you're saying. It's to, it's to, it's to go after these things that are really, they have harmful effects in society. Right. Um, it, it, it results in speech suppression, even like self-censorship. People are censoring themselves totally. and doing the tyrant's work for him. And, uh, and so, you know, I think anybody who's out there ridiculing these ideas and ridiculing this kind of rigidity that's there uh, and, and all, this, all these restrictions that are there, uh, is going to embolden other people to speak out and feel comfortable believing what they believe and having a right to say what they believe. Um, so, yeah, there is there is some to that, um, that, yeah. that it's a little bit more, you know, uh, uh, the onion um, said it defines satire as being a, a, a smart saying it's for a higher purpose. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if I can say that on your show. Can I say that on your show? We'll have to believe it um, out. but yeah you know there really is in a sense a higher purpose to it there really is because in our case at least we are trying to ridicule bad ideas and i think that's a moral good you know i think so too and there are a lot of christians like when i've done those fake dnc ads in the past of course it's fun like you guys know this the left makes it super easy to ridicule their ideas it's actually hard to even make them satirical all you have to do is say this is what their ideas are, and they're ridiculous. All you have to do is put them on display, sans all of the euphemisms that they use to try to kind of like sanitize and normalize their ridiculous, absurd views, like defund the police. You don't even have to lie or exaggerate to do satire about left-wing proposals. And so when I do the DNC... In fact, it's hard to. It's hard to exaggerate it. You know, it's actually challenging to exaggerate it. It's, It's easier to just uncover it and expose it for what it is. Yes, and... I I think that's one thing that makes people mad is that and they'll just kind of give you general anger that that makes me mad. But if you ask them, well, what was incorrect? Was there anything that I said in this particular video that was not a democratic policy or not a position that someone on the left holds? Um, And also a reaction that I get and I I'm sure actually I know you guys do from people who profess to be like progressive Christians or whatever. But Christians will say, well, that's mean. You might be right, but that satire or that sarcasm is mean. And that's not loving your neighbor. And that's not kind. And man, I take such issue with the tone police who are actually angrier about someone making fun of this really bad, really destructive and sometimes evil idea like men having access to women's bathrooms. They're more mad about making fun of that and the tone that someone uses to make fun of that than they are the evil idea itself. And that really bothers me about some Christians. Yeah, I think that's an important point, too, is that it's, you know, the, what, what is your goal? Is your goal to hurt people and make them feel stupid and bad about themselves? Or is your goal to protect people right. and actually push back on something that's harming people? Uh, in our case, you know, when I'm talking about ridiculing bad ideas, I'm not, I'm not talking about like 
ridiculing people mercilessly and making them feel terrible about themselves. Right. I'm talking about ridiculing ideas that are going to actually hurt people. And so, yeah, you're absolutely right. It's, it's, it's silly to care more about the fact that someone's making those jokes. And first of all, on the other side of it, they are perfectly happy to make jokes at your expense that, that yeah. completely make you look silly or stupid uh, mm-hmm. or to even hurt your feelings personally. They, they don't care about your feelings. It's just certain people in protected groups, their feelings matter more than everybody else's feelings for some reason. So um, that's, that, that's not fair either. But really, yeah, from that perspective, the, the, the Christian perspective of, you know, um, this isn't loving your neighbor. This is nice. It's not loving to your neighbor to lie to them either. It's not exactly. loving. Um, it's not loving to treat skin color like it's the most important thing about somebody. It's not loving to deny the differences between the sexes. Um, it's not. It's not loving to to teach people to deny reality. To teach little kids to start transitioning just because they once played with a doll that means they must be a girl. Right. Um, it's not loving to to put them on that path. And so to ridicule the act of putting them on that path is immoral good. Okay, second sponsor for the day, one of my favorite sponsors, Annie's Kit Clubs. Annie's Kit Clubs are a fantastic way to build lasting memories with your kids while encouraging their creativity. They've got all kinds of different kits for your kids. Um, The kits arrive in your mailbox once a month with all the crafting supplies that you need. Super convenient. Has all the instructions that you need and also um, has all of the materials, all of the supplies so you don't have to run to the craft store. They've got a young woodworkers kit club that sends kids real hammer and nails construction kits. They even include real tools starting with a kid-sized hammer. Annie's also has Creative Girls Club which sends a variety of projects and introduces your girls to new crafts with every shipment. Each month she receives two fun kits with different crafts like painting, beading, and more. Go to annieskitclubs.com slash Allie. Save 75% off your first order. That's an amazing deal. annieskitclubs.com slash Allie. annieskitclubs.com slash Allie. I just wonder what Bible sometimes these people are reading, because I know for me, like when I read Jesus's words to the apostles, when people ask him what I think are legitimate questions, and he responds in a way sometimes that's super off-putting, sarcastic, or he doesn't answer directly. He responds with a question. He uses different rhetorical devices um, in order to get his point across. We see that throughout scripture. And... Mm -hmm. It's not the 11th commandment that we should be nice. We can be kind. We can be loving. We can speak the truth without this kind of euphemistic, overly nice, but won't say what's real language that I think a lot of Christians resort to at the expense of the people who are suffering on the other end of these bad ideas. Yeah. No, I think you're right. There's, there's plenty of examples of it in scriptures. There's, there's examples in the prophets too. It's just, it's, it's replete with examples of uh, exaggeration being used, hyperbole being used, um, ridicule and mockery being used. Um, and, you know, I, I mentioned before, I, I said something recently about how, like, we need to bring back shame in the sense that, you know, there is shameful behavior. There are shameful things that people are doing. And rather than, like, talking about that or calling that out, you know, we're trying to act like in this present moment in our culture, like, nothing is shameful. Like there is no shameful behavior, like anything goes. And I think, you know, satire has a role to play in kind of um, keeping clear in our minds, like moral boundaries of of what's good, what's right, what's, what's too extreme. Um, And so, you know, that's kind of, it's one of the important elements of it. I mean, obviously you want it to be fun and funny. You really want it to be fun and funny, but sometimes, you know, you got to hit on these issues, uh, you know, with, with kind of a deeper purpose. 
Yeah, we're definitely in this cultural season of wanting to destigmatize and normalize every kind of egregious behavior. And some things need stigma. Like some things have a stigma because they should be stigmatized. Not everything. Maybe some things do need to be destigmatized. That's fine. But some things have a stigma for a reason. Some things aren't normalized because they're not normal and we don't need to make them normal. And I think healthy shame does play a role in kind of giving us those boundaries. All right. Let's look at your book, um, Wokeness, The Babylon Bee Guide to Wokeness. I said that I'm triggered by the cover just because the raised communist fist and Che Guevara, his face really triggers me. And there's (laughs) a lot in this book (laughs) that really triggers me because... (laughs) I mean, it's just funny. It's just funny. The animations are funny. But I am reminded that the ideas that you guys are making fun of really are as bad as they seem. Tell me about creating this book, everything that went into it, why you guys made it. Also, how long did it take? Because it looks like it's pretty extensive. (laughs) Okay, you'd be surprised. I mean, the the guys that we have working for us are so... um, productive creatively that is awesome. they can they, seem they can like put it. out a lot of material in a very short period of time um some of this is just kind of tapping into a lot of ideas that we've already dealt with and, and, and exposed and talked about on the b quite a bit so um you know but this was really a a, a joint effort between kyle our editor-in-chief and joel barry our managing editor and then all of the illustrations and everything are done by our creative director ethan nicole and, uh, and so the three of them just work together on structuring this thing. And it's just, I mean, like at this moment in time, when you have like uh, wokeness just surging in popularity, and also at the same time, like the left trying to distance themselves from it now, because so many, there's been so much backlash to what's going on here, especially with like critical race theory being taught in schools, everything that just happened in Virginia with that election. Uh, the, the conversation is like coming to a head right now where people are trying to decide, is wokeness a good thing or isn't it? Yeah. And so to have a satirical guide come out by the Babylon Bee that just kind of ruthlessly ridicules wokeness and, and expo- but like you said, like you don't even really have to exaggerate it that much. There's a little bit of exaggeration in this book, but when you read it, it's really, we're doing what you did in, the, in those videos where you're, where you're exposing the Democrat platform. We're really just saying what they say. Yeah. Like they have really said that two plus two is saying, insisting that right. two plus two equals four is true, is racist. It's white supremacy. You know? Yeah, yep. they literally treat your skin color and your gender and sex as being the most important things about you. They literally do that. So this book is just kind of uh, uh, highlighting that in a really kind of obnoxious way without any euphemisms or anything, exposing it for what it is. Oh, my gosh. I just opened to page 104. So if you're listening with kids, maybe don't listen to this part. And maybe this also isn't a book to read to kids. I'm just going to read this this one part. OK, Earth Rape. How it works. Warning, disturbing. Inhale, attacker premeditates crime he she will perpetrate on victim, prepares for assault. Rest. Attacker charges up CO2 blast from inside the black empty void that once held a soul. Exhale. Earth is raped. Just breathing. So, rape here. Yes. So, but it actually, I mean, it makes a point. It makes a point about how ridiculous these climate extremists are about the toll yeah. on the earth that human beings are making. It, this is basically what they say. Yeah, you're evil for existing and breathing, right? That's basically what they say. Same thing for being white. You're evil for being white, you know, just your skin color. Um, so, yeah, but that one that you just read, it's like it's illustrated, too. It's like this whole graph and illustration. It's, you know, that adds a lot to it. So yeah. it's a fun book. It's a great gift, especially for the holidays that we got it out in time. But it's selling like crazy. So 
Yeah. So people need to buy them before they're off the shelves. That doesn't surprise me at all. So definitely everyone get the Babylon Bee Guide to Wokeness. Y'all's first book, I think, was How to Be a Perfect Christian, right? Yeah, I've How to Be a Perfect too. Christian. That was back in like 2017. So yeah, yeah that was a while, while ago. That was a while ago. Yeah. But everyone should get both of them. You can get it, you know wherever I'm sure that you get your books. Um, okay, let's talk about a little bit with the time that we have left. One disagreement that I know we have, which is a different subject than we've talked about. Um, Calvinism, Calvinism. Uh, I am a Calvinist. I believe in predestination. You do not. And I don't expect this to be necessarily this long-winded theological conversation, but I'd love for the audience to just hear kind of the differences in what we believe about that. So you can, you can start. What's your position on predestination and Calvinism? Well, so, I mean, the part of the problem is there's a lot of like misunderstandings of what the other side believes. A lot of caricatures people throw around and, you know, people aren't always the most charitable in treating the other side of this. Um, You know, this is a long debate that goes back centuries there's been Christians on both sides of it for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's really, I think it's healthiest if we come to this conversation, conversations like this saying, look, you know, I'm not going to assume that you have ill motives or that you haven't read the Bible or that you're uneducated and that's why you believe what you believe. I think we need to give each other the benefit of the doubt and say, hey, look, you know, honest Christians who've studied their Bibles for a long time and reached different conclusions on this stuff. Yeah. Um, as far as like predestination election goes, you know, I, I believe that, that the Bible is very clear that election is a thing. It is a biblical thing. The question is whether or not election is unconditional and individual as opposed to corporate, for example. Like mm-hmm. when, you, when you try to answer the question, well, who has God chosen to save? I would say that the Bible is pretty clear on that. He's chosen to save anyone who believes in Jesus Christ. That's who he's chosen to save. So belief in Jesus Christ is what puts you in that elect body, not some unconditional decree of God from before time began that there are certain people that he would select, certain individuals that he would select. Uh, and then re- sovereignly regenerate them and, and, and bring them into that fold. So you read, and I totally agree with everything that you said, by the way, I have a lot of good, awesome Christian friends that I learned from who are not Calvinists and who, you know, aren't, uh, who don't believe in every point of TULIP. And so completely agree with mm. you. We have more in common than we disagree on. So that's why it's yeah. kind of fun to and talk about And the most about important the thing in common, we have Christ in common, which exactly. is the most important thing. And so the, the differences agree. are out on the periphery. Yeah. Right. We both agree that it's by grace through faith. It's kind of yeah. what precedes that. Um, that I think that we disagree on. Whereas I read something like Ephesians 1, in love he predestined us for adoption as sons. And I read Romans 9 to mean, um, I guess you could call it corporate, but it is individual uh, predestination, that there is an elect. And elect sounds like elite, but of course that's not what we mean by it. We just mean that God predestined the people that he's going to predestine. And while we do believe it is by grace through faith, we believe that he gives grace that then leads to the faith um, of salvation and that there's nothing that we can add to our salvation. So me saying that, well, if I hadn't believed or if I hadn't mustered up the strength to believe that I wouldn't be saved, that to me is kind of giving myself credit for my salvation. Whereas Mm -hmm. Calvinists would say, no, 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 no. It is only because God predestined you. And here's the, like, here's the conundrum that I find myself in when I try to see like your position. And so maybe you can kind of work this out for me. If I'll try. God, yes, you, you can try because I haven't been able to either. So we agree that God is all powerful, that God mm-hmm. is all knowing and that God is omnipresent. We believe all of these things about God. Yeah. So if that is the case, 
then how can he, if, if he foreknows something, which we know that he does because he is all knowing, and if he is not limited by time and space, he's everywhere at once, then how is his foreknowledge not the same thing as predestination? Because he can do anything he wants to. If he can do anything that he wants to, then he could uh, cause someone to believe in him, but he is choosing not to like he could cause anyone he wants to believe in him we know that he turned uh pharaoh's heart into a heart of stone and so if he can do that and he chooses not to do that for some people and he chooses to do it for other people then how is that not predestination that's a very big question wow a lot loaded into that uh, well, where to begin? Okay, so first, let me take a step back, first of all, and address something that you said earlier, because this is, I think, one of those caricatures. And it, some of it is just like a way of thinking about things. But when we talk about like somebody exercising faith in, in you know, you meant, I think you used the words like mustering up the strength or something like that. Um, it has nothing to do with personal strength. First of all, you know, people who disagree with Calvinists about uh, predestination and election, um, you know, the, the point, the five points of tulip. They would still say that salvation is all of God and it's by grace alone um, and that mm-hmm. God, you know, God has to initiate. God initiates. Man merely re- yields or resists. Right. So if, if I'm yielding and no longer fighting the lifeguard who's trying to save me while I'm drowning, I'm not saving myself. He's still saving me. I've just stopped resisting him so that he can actually get me out of the water. So, you know, when you yield to God who's drawing you and wants to save you, that's not a situation where you have anything to brag about. You know, Paul contrasts faith with works. He doesn't, he doesn't say that faith itself is a work. It's literally just saying, I can't do anything to earn my salvation. I need you to save me and yielding to him and allowing him to do that. And that's a response to God's drawing of, on, on people's hearts, the Holy Spirit, the, the power of, go- of the gospel unto salvation being preached to them. Um, that's a response to that. It's not man initiating saying, you know what, I've decided I need salvation and coming to God on his own. Um, so that's one point. Um, on, on the point of like God's foreknowledge and, and him knowing everything, I agree that God knows everything. Um, I, I would say that God, uh, whatever you freely decide to do, God infallibly foreknows. So, you know, God knows everything that's going to happen. And that's just the nature of him being God, is that he knows everything that's going to happen. Um, I don't think that that amounts to fatalism where, uh, you know, because God knows that it's going to happen means that God determined it. There's a very big difference between um, God knowing what you'll infallibly, knowing infallibly what you will freely do, and God determining that you do it. I think there's a massive difference between those. But two he things. could stop um, anything, correct? He could stop anything from happening that he wanted to stop from happening. And yes, so, if and he, he is choosing he, not to, then and this is not necessarily a question that I have a perfect answer to. But if God chooses not to stop something, which we know that is w- within His power to do, then isn't there a bit of responsibility isn't there a bit of determinism in that in, in him withhold like yes, choosing not like to act? Th- you say that there's that there's a big difference between foreknowledge and predeterminism and i do agree with that i agree that the bible speaks to that that the bible shows god is completely sovereign but also holds man responsible for his actions right. so there's a little bit of like concurrence there and romans 9 mm-hmm. talks about that sovereignty of god kind of in this tension with what human beings decide to do and their responsibility for the things that they do. What I struggle with is if God is totally like, I think of it like this, like I love, I thought that your lifeguard analogy was really, really good. I think people are going to benefit a lot from that. The analogy also that I think of has to do with 
drowning in a pool, actually. So if you have a babysitter who Mm. is babysitting um, a child and the child walks outside, walks into the pool and drowns, parents come home, obviously awful thing. Um, The only way that you would not hold that babysitter responsible for what happened is if that babysitter was constrained in some way so that babysitter didn't have the power to save that child or if somehow the babysitter didn't know or the babysitter wasn't there, all of those would be irresponsible things. But those three things we know were not true about God. Like we know that God is all powerful. We know that God is there. We know that he is capable, that he has the knowledge to do something. So in the same right. way that that babysitter would still be held responsible, even though the babysitter didn't push the child into the pool, their capability of being able to save that that child from the pool does hold them responsible. So wouldn't God... Yeah, interesting God argument help. you're making. So Yeah. Yeah, so, so, so pl- like Alvin Planning, if you're familiar with him, he, he, he put together this argument called the free will defense. It's not really original to him, but he really formulated and structured the free will defense to explain how there can possibly be evil when God exists and he's omnipotent, uh, omniscient. Mm, mm-hmm. um, you know, like, how is it possible that we have evil? The, answer, the one possible answer, and an answer that I think is biblical, is the fact that he's decided to create free creatures. So when we talk about like sovereignty, I, you know, a non-Calvinist like me would agree that God is sovereign. Um, but when it comes to like human freedom, a lot of Calvinists think, okay, well, if he's, if he's, if he's sovereign, it means he's, control, he's got to control everything. He's got to determine everything that happens. I, I don't see any reason why God couldn't, in his sovereignty, exercise divine self-limitation and allow for free creatures to, to exist. To, uh, to live in an, an environment where love and goodness and joy and suffering are all possible um, uh, because he sees some great good in that. Uh, and if he decides to do that in his sovereignty, decides to do that, I don't think that you can fault him for that if he's determined that he thinks that there's some good to that, that it's better to have that than to not have that. Um, and so, you know, when, when God is being patient with us uh, because he's not willing that any should perish and um, and, and desires that every every man and commands that every man everywhere uh, repent and believe. Uh, I think he's being genuine. He's being sincere. He wants everybody to repent and believe. And I think that Romans is a beautiful picture. If you zoom out of like specific passages that that focus on, you know, God will harden whoever he wants to harden. And, and you know, um, you, if you, you zoom out from those specific passages, he'll have mercy on whoever he wants to have mercy. Later on, it talks about how he wants to have mercy on them all in chapter 11. The, the, what Paul's burden is there is to show, you know, that the Jews are really objecting that Gentiles are being grafted in, that they're that they're enjoying, uh, that, that, that they're being uh, uh, entering into this covenant with God, too, through Jesus Christ. It's supposed to be this exclusive thing. It's being opened up. God is arguing, who are you to question me? How can you question me that I've opened it up to everybody that I want to have mercy on more people? The, 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 the election was originally with Israel and then and that's a corporate thing. Um, and then it became in Christ uh, and opened up to Gentiles. That's a corporate thing. It's a larger corporate thing. And the one led to the other. Um, so I see Romans 9 as really being Paul's burden to, uh, to, to widen the scope of God's mercy and include the Gentiles in it, not just the Jews, and to do so through Jesus so that anyone who believes can be saved. And it's ultimately his, his desire that, he have, uh, that, he, that all be saved and he'll have mercy on all. Yeah. Um, so... And the reason that they're not is because he's not being deterministic. He's not forcing uh, Christ on anyone. He's allowing you to either yield or resist. So I think that's really comes down to the key differences. And it's just, you know, what is God's desire? I think it's really clearly stated biblically that God's desire is for all to be saved. Okay, last sponsor for the day, my good friends at 
Good Ranchers. Guys, Christmas is coming up. And if you're looking for a creative gift to give a loved one in your life, maybe especially a a guy who loves to grill, then you should consider purchasing a box of Good Ranchers meat. All of their craft beef and their better than organic chicken comes from American farms and American farmers. And considering that the ranching and farming industry in the United States is not in a good place right now because unfortunately the United States has decided in the last six or so years to rely mostly on imported meat from overseas. It's really important that those of us who want to put America first and want to support this American industry buy American meat. That means that you should probably not buy your meat from the grocery store. The vast majority of it is imported from overseas and you should rely on good ranchers. So you can buy that one box of meat. You've got different kinds of meat that you can get. You've got your fillets, you've got your T-bones, you've got your ground beef, and then you've got your pre-marinated and non-pre-marinated chicken. It's all super high quality. We eat it almost every night. We absolutely love Good Ranchers. It's super convenient. Plus, if you use my code, then you get an extra deal, and it's only available through the end of November, so just a few more days. If you go to goodranchers.com slash you get 10 free Bistro Filet medallions with your order. If you subscribe, you also save $25 on each box of mouthwatering American meats for life. And you get free express shipping. So go to goodranchers.com slash Allie or use code Allie at checkout. 10 free Bistro medallions, free express shipping, $25 off your subscription at goodranchers.com slash Allie. Like I said, I think we agree on so much more than we disagree on. When I look at Romans 9 and those surrounding chapters, when he's not just talking about Israel and he's not just separating Israel and Gentiles, he's separating faith from lack of faith because he says not all Mm -hmm. Israel is Israel. And um, he talks about how it is, you know, by grace through faith, even though it doesn't use the same terminology that it does in Ephesians 2, talks about how Mm -hmm. it is through faith that both Gentiles and Jews are now coming together and are reconciled to God and are reconciled to each other. So because of that, because the distinction there is not primarily between Gentiles and Jews in those chapters, but between those who have faith, Gentiles and Jews, and those who do not. And then he says, he says that people are going to say, okay, but how is that fair that he makes vessels of wrath and vessels of mercy unsaved and saved? Who can who can resist his will? How is that fair, basically? And Paul answers kind of like what you said. Who are you? Who is, who is the clay to answer back to the potter? Why did you make me this way? Now, I think, mm-hmm. like you said, we're, we have maybe differences in, in interpretation there. And, you know, there are other passages in love. He predestined us. And I guess you would interpret that as meaning kind of collectively he predestines the saints he predestines i i don't know the gentiles um to be saved whereas i would look at that more um individualistically but i think i think that's where we'll leave it i really really appreciate you taking the time to so clearly articulate your thoughts i think people will benefit from it maybe one day we can have a longer exclusively um theological conversation that would be fun um okay yeah it would be i you know i appreciate you giving me the chance to to talk about it you know a lot of people don't want to touch these things because it can get so heated but i think if you you know if you just have an open heart and mind to hear what other people have to say it, it doesn't have to get that way yeah definitely especially when you have christ in common um all yeah. right where can everyone find you support you the babylon b your book all that good stuff B, we're easy to find we're all over everything babylon b.com we're on twitter instagram um, everything. Um, myself, I'm B Chief on Instagram, and I'm on Twitter as Seth Dillon. Um, 
Yeah, I think the main thing I'd want to push is our book. Go buy the Babylon Bee Guide to Wokeness. It's a top seller right now. We actually hit 14, number 14 on the all uh, on that all books amazing. on Amazon. That's so awesome. That was pretty impressive. Our publisher's thrilled with that. Um, go make it number one. That would be pretty cool. Yes. Well, thank you so much, Seth. Thanks for talking to us. Thank you, Allie.